Hey, so we've been in a series called Rhythms That Lead to Life. It's a series about the practices that put us in a position to know and to love and to follow Jesus, not just on Sunday as we gather as a church, but as we go out into the everyday of the week and share life together. And today we are at the final set of teachings in our series, and we're going to be talking about community this thing that we're wired to want and we all hope to experience and look for in our lives. And to get us started in learning what it looks like to practice being in community with one another, we're gonna be asking the question today, when Jesus talked about community, what did he say? What did he point to? What did he look to? What did he talk about and emphasize that we can learn from and put into practice here and in our life together? Or put it another way, what did Jesus envision for the community called the church? And so that's what we're going to be wrestling with today as we come to the Bible and listen to what Jesus has to say. And so to help us answer this question, we're in what's called the Gospel of John. It's one of the biographies of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, grab it and turn to John chapter 17. We're going to pick up uh, Jesus' prayer. He's praying to God on the eve of his journey to the cross and to the resurrection. And we're going to pick up his prayer in John chapter 17, verse 13. Listen to what Jesus is praying. He says this, I am coming to you now. So Jesus is talking to the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So as I said, we are in the final moments before Jesus is arrested, betrayed, and crucified. And in these final moments, we see Jesus praying. And as he prays, one of the things that he begins to pray about in these final moments is for you and for me and how we live together in the world. See, I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus, he's not just praying for the people that are in the room with him, his 12 closest disciples, his 12 closest followers, but he's actually praying for everyone who would come to believe in him in the future as well. And so don't miss the significance of this. Don't miss the importance of this prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying for you and he's praying for me and he's praying for us, those of us who believe in him and follow him together. See, in the shadow of the cross, it's amazing to me to think about it, that Jesus wasn't just thinking about himself and what he was about to go through. He was thinking of you and he was thinking of me and the life that we would share together. And just let that sink in for a moment. 
that you were on Jesus' mind long before you existed and came to know him. We, the church, the community called the church, we were on his mind. How we would live together in the world was on the mind of Jesus just hours before he was nailed to the cross. And you know what this tells us is that you matter. And it tells us that this conversation about community matters because Jesus could have been praying about a lot of things in this moment. But with the cross looming and with these final moments of prayer with the Father before he goes on the journey to die in our place, Jesus thought it was important enough to pray about our life together as a community. And if it's important to Jesus, then it's got to be important to us as well. And so don't miss the significance of this prayer and what Jesus is praying about in this moment. And in these final moments, again, what Jesus is praying is for community. And in that prayer, we see his heart and vision for the community called the church. Now, of course, the church doesn't yet exist, but there is this community that gathers around Jesus and one day will become the church, and Jesus is praying for that. But before we move on and begin talking about the vision and the heart that Jesus has for the community called the church, let me stop and ask, when you hear the word church, what comes to mind? What do you think? What do you feel? What goes on for you as you hear us start talking about the community called the church? Now, for some of us, we get good feelings, warm thoughts, because we've had a great experience of church, a good experience of church, and that is something to celebrate. For some of us, this is a really good thing that we're talking about the church because we love the church and we've had a good experience of it. But for others of us, well, we have a completely different reaction than those of us who've had a good experience with church. Because the reality is we've been let down or hurt by the church. And so instead of good thoughts and warm feelings, we feel anger. We feel pain. We feel cynicism and a lack of trust and a hesitancy about being around a place that teaches one thing and then goes and does another. See, that's, that's some of our stories. That's some of our experiences of the church. And you know what, if that is you, if that is your experience of the church, I get the way you feel. I understand that you feel the way you do. See, the church hasn't always lived out what it teaches and says it believes, and that is not okay. And so what I wanna say to you is I'm sorry for how the church has treated you, how you have felt let down, how you have not seen the church live up to what it says it teaches and believes. And I really hope that you stay, that you stick it out and you help us do better than we've done in the past. And I think in some ways that that journey for you and for all of us, it begins with listening to Jesus and allowing his prayer to speak into how we think about and how we practice this thing called community. So again, the question is, when Jesus talks about community, what does he talk about? What does he say? What does he envision for this thing called the church? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that the church is a community that orbits around Jesus. See, if we look at the, the stories about Jesus called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the first things Jesus did when he began his public ministry was he started gathering people around himself. He would go to fishermen and to tax collectors and to different people and he would say, follow me. Come learn from me, share life with me, experience this new way of being human, be a part of this new kingdom community that I'm forming around myself and all of it. All of what Jesus was doing in the world was done in community, whether it was around a table or walking by the water or on a fishing boat or at the synagogue, there was this group of people 
whose life orbited around Jesus's life. And it was this little group of people that became the locus of God's presence and God's activity in the world. And what set it apart and what made it distinct from any other kind of community before it and since is the person and the presence of Jesus. See, back then and all the way up to today, this reality, the reality of the person of Jesus is what makes the community of the church different than any other kind of community out there. Because here's the truth. You can find community anywhere. You can. It's out there. It's widespread. You can find it at the gym. You can find it at your CrossFit buddies and, and, and friends that you go work out with. You can find it on your online gaming community or in the social platform that you're a part of. You can find it with others who share your favorite hobby like running or hiking or riding bikes or drinking coffee or disc golf or cooking or playing music. Whatever your hobby is, you can find community with others there. You can find it at the school you go to or the sports team you play on or, or you cheer for. I mean, the list goes on and on. If you're looking for a community, you can find it. It's out there and it provides relationships and it provides a place to belong and people to do life with, which is something that we need because we're created for community. We're wired to want this. But as much as there's community options out there, there's only one place, one community that orbits around Jesus and has him as its heartbeat and that's the church. See, the church is the only community where Jesus is at the center, where he is its focus, where he is its heartbeat, where he is its life. Remove him from the center of the church community and you lose what makes the church the church, what makes it distinct, what makes it set apart, what makes it stands out from any other kind of community. So that's the first thing that we need to know about the church, the community called the church, is that it's a people gathered around the person of Jesus. And because of that, our life together is shaped by Jesus. See, who we are as a church is always tied to who he is. And what we do as a community is always tethered to what Jesus did and what he taught. There's this inseparable connection between Jesus and the community that orbits around him. And what Jesus said and what Jesus did and who Jesus was, that plays a part in what he envisions for his church. Look again at what he prays about in verses 15 to 19. He says, my prayer is not that you take them, talking about his followers, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And so when Jesus thinks about the church and how we live together in all 168 hours of our week, he thinks of a community that is set apart and sent. See, I don't know if you saw this or not, or I don't know about you, but when I think of community, I don't actually and naturally think about set apart and sent. I don't immediately think about this, this, this part of community, about the set-apart and sentness of being the church. I don't go there naturally. I don't know about you, but Jesus does. See, Jesus kind of lifts the lid on how we normally think about community, and he expands the vision for what it means to be his people in the world. See, for Jesus, community is not a place that you attend 
on a Sunday or once during the week. It's not, a, it's not only about sitting in a room with others drinking decent coffee and talking about the Bible, though that plays a part of it. And it's not about everyone getting along and sacrificing what they believe or truth on the altar of unity. Rather, what Jesus is saying here is that his version of community, his vision for his people goes far beyond this, this view of community that I tend to have and that we can tend to have. And that purpose that he's talking about has two parts, that the church and the people in it would commit itself to become more like Jesus. And secondly, that we would live together in such a way that people will believe in the reality of Jesus. Let's take that first one, the church committing itself to become more like Jesus. When Jesus says sanctify them, what he's saying is he's talking about a people dedicating their life, their whole life, all of who they are to God and becoming more like him as they journey with him. That's what he's talking about. The picture is of a people that are all in on Jesus, that are committed and dedicated to knowing him, to loving him, and having his character formed in him. The picture is, a, is of a group of people who live differently than the surrounding culture because of how they think and how they live and how they love in the same way that Jesus is. This is what Jesus is envisioning, and it makes me wonder, how are we actually doing at this? Like, how are we actually doing at living set, up, set apart and sent at becoming like Jesus? Well, according to recent studies, not very well. See, there's this study uh, that I read that asked people what they thought of when they thought of the church. And what ca came back was words like judgmental, hypocritical, old-fashioned, out of touch with reality, insensitive, insensitive to others, boring, confusing, they said that there was no value in, in attending and that churches have way too many problems. And the study summed up its findings like this, God, perhaps, Christian, Christianity and Christians, no. Doesn't that make you sad? Knowing what we know about Jesus, knowing the beautiful parts the, that we experience at church, doesn't it make you sad that people would say, God, maybe, but Christianity and Christians, no way? because of what they've seen, because of what they've experienced in the lives of people who follow Jesus. And of course, this is not every person, it's not every church or every Jesus follower that would be like this, but still, it's really hard to hear that the perception of the surrounding culture is not glowing. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about. I see, I wonder if part of the reason why this is true or that people have this perception of the church is that we haven't made becoming like Jesus the pri priority that it should be. You know, we haven't made godliness and holiness a goal like we should. Being formed into the person and the, of, of Jesus, into the image of Jesus. See, because what Jesus is saying here is he's envisioning a countercultural community of people who follow him and are like him in growing and increasing ways. And in the end, that's what being set apart and sent means. In part, especially the set, set apart piece, that if we want to be countercultural, I like what James Emery White says. He says, to be truly countercultural begins with being truly Christ-like. If you want to tell the world about the reality of Jesus, that if you want this city that we live in to encounter Jesus, to believe that he exists, that he did come, that he did die and rise again for our salvation, then you need to become more like Jesus. We need to become more like Jesus in our life together. Because then and only then 
will we start to get close to this part of community that Jesus envisions, which is this otherworldly community living together in, a, in the world in such a way that people take notice and consider the reality of Jesus, which is the second purpose Jesus has for us in communities, that we would live together in such a way that people would believe in the reality of Jesus. I mean, this is the story that John has been telling throughout the gospel. He's been telling a story about the arrival of God in human history, how in Jesus that we see the reality of God in human form. Right from the very first chapter, John starts with Jesus and he says, Jesus is God. He always has been and he always will be. And as God, he says, Jesus became human and he revealed God to us that Jesus is the light of heaven, that when we look at Jesus, we actually see God in human form. We see who God is and what God is like, that we see the eternal, infinitely holy Son of God in human form, revealing who God is and what God is like to the world in Jesus. I mean, that's just an incredible reality. But that's not the whole story John is telling, because John is saying that, talking about how in Jesus God was revealing himself to us, but he's also going to be telling a story about how in Jesus God is accomplishing redemption for us. See, Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to die and rise again so that everything that separated us from God, what the Bible calls sin, could be dealt with, and we could have a life with God both now and forever. This is a life we could never earn, but we get through faith in Jesus. And through this faith in Jesus, we get Jesus. He's the prize. He's the greatest treasure in the universe. He is what matters most. But we also get to become a part of a community that orbits around him called the church. Who Jesus is now praying would carry on his work of revealing God to the world in community together. And so what Jesus is envisioning here is that in the same way that he came and revealed God to us, that the church would reveal Jesus to the world through the way that it lives together. Now don't miss this because it's both a significant point and a scary point. Because what Jesus is saying is that the way we live together plays a part in what people will think about him. So much so that it will actually affect whether they believe in him or not. Now, that's a significant and a scary point that how we live together in community has something to say about Jesus. It could be really good, it could be really bad, it could be kind of lukewarm. But how we live together is one way we speak about the reality of Jesus to the world. And that's why community is about so much more than putting on an engaging Sunday service or, or running really great programs that help, help people. I mean, those are great things, but Jesus has a greater desire for his community. It's a community that orbits around him and is set apart and sent to reveal Jesus to the world by how we live together. This is what Jesus thinks of when he's thinking of community. It's a much bigger and more beautiful and profound picture than I normally think of when I think of the church. But that leaves me with a question. How can we reveal who Jesus is to the world by how we practice community? What does it look like for us to go and do that together? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us through his prayer. Look again at verse 20 to 23, because there Jesus is going to give us two realities to embody and exhibit in our life together. Both are countercultural acts that, if practiced, 
will demonstrate to the world an alternative way of being human, an alternative way of being in the world, and ultimately will demonstrate to the world that Jesus is alive, that he is real, and he is exists, and he can make a difference in the world and in our lives. And so what are these two realities that Jesus prays about? Well, the first one is this, that in our life together, we would embody and exhibit a oneness and a unity in a world that is divided. Look at what Jesus prays in verse 20 to 23. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So in this polarized cultural moment, in this world of division and disagreement that just seems to be amplified every week in greater and greater ways, in a world that's being pulled apart at the seams, Jesus prays for a community that would be one and united in how it thinks, how they live, how they see one another, how they treat one another, and how they see being a community. He envisions a unity that is built not on our best ideas or intentions or on organizational alignment, but on a relational oneness that binds us together and with Jesus. It's a oneness that from the moment we come to faith in Jesus, we are united to him in an inseparable way, but we are also united to one another in God's family in an inseparable way. From the moment we believe in Jesus, this unity is birthed and we get to live in that. It made me think of the other day as my son, um, he has some amazing young friends, which I'm so thankful for. And there's this one day I was taking him to school to drop him off and we were walking in alongside some of our really close friends. And uh, so both our boys kind of run into uh, their classroom and their teacher is standing at the door and she kind of stops and engages with me and uh, my friend's wife. And she says, hey, I got a question for you guys. And as soon as she starts talking, our two boys uh, kind of poke their head out of the door. Um, and, they're, and they have this look on their face and like, oh no, why is, why, is, why is our teacher talking to our parents? Are we in trouble? What did we do? And so they're kind of listening. It's this really funny picture. And the teacher says, you know, um, are you guys family? And, and I looked at my friends, we kind of giggled, and we're like, no, no, we're just really good friends, and our boys are really good friends, and we're like, why? And their teacher is like, well, they keep calling themselves cousins. And I got really confused because I see you guys together a lot, but I didn't think you were family, but I thought I'd ask because I, I didn't know. And so you're not, they're not cousins, you're not family? I'm like, no, they're just, they're just really good friends. And it was a really interesting moment because I was walking away. It made me think about how uh, my son, Levi, and his friend, Zane, they have this sense that they are, there's something closer uh, to their relationship than, than, than them just being friends, that there's something greater that binds them together and actually transcends the fact that they aren't actually cousins. They see themselves as so close that they actually see themselves as family. And I think in some way, this is what Jesus is getting at when he prays, that there is something greater that binds us together in the church. There's this oneness that we share because of our common faith in Jesus. And this is going to always transcend the differences and the disagreements we will have. And we need to grab onto that because when we think of unity, so often we think of peace and everyone's getting along, warm, fuzzy feelings, camaraderie, friendship, and everything's like good. 
and there's no disagreements or differences, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not actually true unity. Unity is about the greater reality that binds us together and propels us toward a life of oneness and unity in a world of division. It's all based on a theological oneness that we share with God and with one another. It's not something that we generate. It's something that we get and receive from God when we come to faith in him. And it's our job to maintain it and to make visible this invisible reality of oneness that we have. And in that, we're gonna show the world something completely different, something so uncommon. We show them a community of oneness and unity in a world of division. And what a beautiful picture of the God we serve who is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in all this, again, we show the world something different, which we do by being a community of costly love in an individualistic culture. See, in a culture where the highest good is individual freedom and self-expression, Jesus prays for a community of costly love. Just a few chapters before, in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus' heartbeat, the mark that is supposed to be present in our life together is that we would love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. It's not our definition of love. It's not our version or standard or quality of love. It's Jesus' definition, standard, and quality of love. A costly love that sacrifices for the good of another. A costly love that says, I'm sorry, that forgives, that stoops down to lift others up, that is willing to let go of my needs and wants for the needs and wants of someone else. It's a Jesus-type love that washes feet, sees the one that no one else sees, spends time with those no one else spends time with, sacrifices, serves, says no to me to say yes to you. It's a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love that is patient, kind is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, protects, trusts, hopes, never gives up even when it gets hard. It's the Romans 5.8 kind of love where Jesus is hanging on the cross and dying in our place that says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. It's this sacrificial kind of love so that we could have a life with God and the kind of life God created us to have. This is the kind of costly love Jesus is calling his people to have, and it's costly for a reason, because it asks us to think more about others and what they need than what we need and what we would like. And in an individualistic culture that says it's all about you and what you need and what you can get and what you deserve, that's not easy. And so one of the greatest hurdles to us actually becoming the kind of community that Jesus envisions is that, is our individualism both that we're aware of and the parts of that that we're not aware of. See, the reality is, is we all want community, but we don't all want to sacrifice. You see, without even knowing it, our individualistic tendencies can sabotage our experience of community, that they can get it in the way of us becoming a community of costly love that shows the world something beautiful and compelling about the person of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is envisioning for his church, that we would be a community that goes beyond welcoming and being nice to the newcomer or the person who's different from us to being a community that loves others in the same way he has loved us. And so I don't think Jesus wants us to hang our hat on being welcoming. I think Jesus wants us to be loving because I don't think people are looking for a welcome. I think people are looking to be loved. And Jesus' vision is that this community called the church would be a community of costly love in an individualistic culture. 
That's what he means when he talks about the church and making visible the invisible realities of God, that people would see us loving one another act actively in response to the way that Jesus has loved us. And who doesn't want to be a part of a community like that? I know I do. Because a community like that has an impact. That through the way a community like that practices being together, it would arrest the attention of the world. It would speak about the reality of Jesus. It would cast a vision for life in the kingdom. It would offer an alternative way of being in the world to the world. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a community like that. But here's my confession. I don't do community very well. I don't. My wife does it well. She makes community and friends wherever she goes. I think she has like eight best friends. Like I maybe have one. I mean, she just does this far better than me. I'm introverted. I need time alone. And that's a, that's a good thing, but I often use it as an excuse to not invest in friendships, to not be in community. And because of that, I've missed out on the kind of friendships I long for and the friendships I need. And I often feel really lonely. And when I do take that risk and I do get into community, it's hard for me to let my guard down, to let people in because I'm wounded and I've been hurt before and I don't want to take that risk. And so it's hard for me to trust. But what I'm learning is I need to be intentional. I need to fight for this. I need to fight for friendships. I need to take initiative. I'm learning I have to take the risk to have the kind of community I crave, the kind of community that Jesus is talking about here. And in the same way, we need to fight for this. Each of us needs to play our part to see the kind of community that Jesus envisions come to life. We need to take the risk to become like what Jesus prayed for. Because the division and the infighting during the pandemic, you know what it did? It exposed a lack of unity and love. Not just out there in the culture, but in here in the church as well. And so if you want to see this kind of community come to life, it's going to take becoming more like Jesus. It's going to take living set apart. It's going to take practicing costly love, participating in the mission of Jesus in the world. And it's going to take sacrificing some of those significant stances you have to the greater realities of what Jesus is talking about here. So let me ask, are you willing to sacrifice any of the issues you posted about, argued about, or got angry about to embrace the greater reality of making Jesus known in the world? Are you willing to take the risk to put yourself in other people's shoes like Jesus did? Are you willing to take the time to see something through someone else's eyes? Are you willing to sacrifice what you want and feel is right so people will see the reality of Jesus? Are you willing to orbit your life around Jesus? Are you willing to live set apart and sent? Are you willing to become a countercultural community that looks and feels and sounds and acts different than the post-Christian world around us? Are you willing to play your part to, to do these kinds of things that Jesus is calling us to do? See, how you answer that is between you and God. But all of us, we need to play our part to see the community Jesus envisions come to life. A countercultural community that looks and feels and sounds and acts different than the surrounding post-Christian culture. A church that embodies and exhibits the holiness, the oneness, and the costly love of Jesus in our life together so that the world may know the reality of Jesus. See, that's the kind of community Jesus envisions. That's what he thinks when he thinks of community. And each of us has a part to play and to practice that together so that the world may know that Jesus is real and he is here and offering them life with him and life in this community called the church.